Good to be here. Good morning. Welcome to Rock Bible Church. Christ-centered, biblically-based, compelling, casual community. Right? Do you remember what we, how, how we define those? We are compelling ourselves and others to Christ in casual ways that welcome all to worship, being a community that serves the greater community. Amen? All right. Are we good at it? Not important that we try, right? We forget to take the stuff out of our pockets before we preach sometimes. But that's just the way we are. Um, very excited to, to be here this morning and uh, continue our series in the book of Romans. We're going to be chapter 10 uh, this morning, and we're going to do just the first half or so. Uh, before we do that, I want to make sure everybody knows men's ministry, Wednesday morning, 6 a.m., our uh, kind of during the school year group for Wednesday mornings will be kicking off this Wednesday morning right in here. Me, a bunch of guys, and we're working on biblical manhood. What does the Bible say about who we're supposed to be? And understand, there's a lot out there, a lot of culture. They got a lot of opinions, a lot of social media, blah, 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 that think men should be this way or masculinity is this or that. And we're going to fly right in the face of it. We're going to look at what does the Bible actually say about men. Okay, Now, Wednesday mornings don't work for you because you get up early and go to work or whatever because it is 6 a.m. right in here. Um, then we do have a Monday night study, 7 o'clock at Porky's Pizza Palace. And that's not a joke. <laughs> and we actually do meet there and we have a great time for those that need a nighttime venue. So uh, those are your two options. If you have questions about either of those, you can come talk to me. Um, or you could talk to Larry Cavanaugh in the back. He's usually involved in both and whatnot. So um, there you go. Let's pray, and then we'll see what God has to say. Lord, thanks for this morning. Thanks for the things we get to sing with meaning and know that they're true. Pray, Lord, that we would be taught now with your meaning through what you led Paul to write for us, and that we might find the truth in it, be able to trust in it, bank on it, start making decisions the way you would, lead our kids the same way, and then Lord, see the blessings that you have for us, because you are a God of promise and blessing, and you've said that you've come that we might have life and have it to the fullest. Pray, Lord, we would be clear that that works through your equations, through your plan, your system. And when we go off in our own way, well, we get what we get. Pray, Lord, you would have the best for us this morning. Bless this time, this passage, through your Holy Spirit. May you guide it. And then uh, keep me out of trouble, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen? Romans chapter 10. Last week we finished uh, chapter 9, talked about the idea, why why'd God make you that way? Uh, and, and last week we came up uh, with a, a pretty short definition. We explained it in the fill-ins and there were like four fill-ins in the whole thing. But the, the short answer was you were, you were designed, you were made exactly the way you were made on purpose. No defects, no flaws. God intentionally made you to have hair or not have hair, be tall or short or whatever, be dating, not, whatever. On purpose for glory. For His glory. Maybe you get a little sprinkling of glory too, because we get to we get to enjoy some things, don't we? 
No spite in there. No. I, I need a better answer than that because if we're doubting that and I'm, I'm off, then I need to leave and go start selling cars. Do we get to enjoy things sometimes? Absolutely. Amen. Otherwise, it's not worth it. Let's all quit. But we were designed, we were made, why were you made that way? For God's glory. So that He can show through our shortcomings, through, you know, maybe you're not good at fixing cars. You know, maybe you can't balance a spreadsheet. I, I don't know. But God shows His glory in that how He works through us, helps us solve the things we can't solve, maybe with other people who have those talents, and then we get to experience a little bit of the glory. Ever as much as God's glory? No. Never. But there's two glories that come out of that. Ultimately His, a little bit of the shade of His glory shines on us a little bit. How about that? And then glory through faith. And last week we talked about this thing, you know, well, you got to have faith in a few things. His power, His patience, His timing, uh, His promises, and then faith in faith. Um, this week, Paul's going to get a little more detailed. Um, and, and this morning we're going to talk about who you are. Why you were made one way, that's last week. Well, who are you then? And Paul, what I love about Paul is he, he's this linear thinker. He, just, he comes up with an idea and he kind of explains it and he moves on to the next step and then there's a, a step that follows and it all kind of builds and it's continuous and it, it fits. That's what I love about Paul. So let's jump in. We're um, just going to do uh, the first 13 verses today. So uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 1, here we go. Uh, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. He's referencing uh, the Israelites who tried to get righteousness, tried to follow God by doing things, by completing the law, by being the best, to, you know, having perfect attendance at church or something, which, by the way, that's not a thing, right? They didn't realize that. They thought if they, you know, curled their hair down the side of their temple, the light right length, and didn't do certain things on certain and follow all these rules and the Ten Commandments, that somehow their obedience or their score, if you will, because they were keeping score, was going to do something for them. And Paul explains last chapter, no, we believe that salvation comes through faith. And he says, you know, Israelites, some of them are going to miss it. Because rather than trying to connect with God, they're trying to connect with their success rate. And he says, I'm worried about them. I wish, I wish, my prayer for them is that they'd be saved. And stop trying to uh, be the most righteous. You know, we joke about Pharisees from time to time, and Sadducees and the whole thing. Pharisees are always worried about whether it's fair. Sadducees are always sad because they got so many rules, right? That's the general on how you remember their uh, predisposition. Verse 2, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. They, they genuinely care about God. They have a pursuit of God, but not according to knowledge. Not because they know Him. Not because they've figured out some things in the equation of their relationship with God. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. Right? Remember that? Sorry, you guys missed it. When I did just the first line, you didn't get it. I had to keep going a little bit. Right? I want answers. Seriously, I, I loved math. 
not because I liked math, but I knew there was a answer. It wasn't scored by judges. It wasn't like, um, oh, what do they do? It's a free writing exercise. No, no, no. There's an answer. 2.3, that was the answer. You either got it or you didn't. And then if you didn't, you go figure out why didn't you. Could, could it be that relationship with God is like that? That there's an equation, that there are actual answers, and that if you really follow it, try it, trust in it, get around people that do, some of it might sink in, actually work, and you get blessed. Things would start to make sense. The stuff that convolutes our culture and our society that talk shows and social media have to post about and go nuts because they're trying to come up with answers because they can't figure it out. I mean, you might not post about it, but you have a sense of where those things are supposed to go. What's important? Why it's important? Or how long? And if it were to change, why it were to change? And all of those answers would be based in who? We're at church. I asked the question. The answer is they're all, they're all based in God. Right? He says, look, there has to be a knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Right? What else does it say? Uh, Let him who boasts, boast in this, that he knows and understands me. Wow. Knows and understands the rules. Uh, knows and understands the Ten Commandments. Knows and understands the doctrine of uh, transubstantiation or all the other weird, big, long words they teach in seminary that you don't need to take. No. Knowledge of Him. That's relationship. Israel missed it. They were trying to set up more and more rules, Levitical law, and all that kind of stuff. And Paul says, ah, yeah. They don't get it. Verse 3, For being ignorant of the righteousness of God, they missed it, and seeking to establish their own, own what? Righteousness. Like something that they earned. They did not submit to God's righteousness. And now, I have a confession to make. I'm about to tell you the hardest part about my relationship with God. I don't get to be God. That's, that's the, when I have to give up my stuff, I'm really angry. When my stuff breaks, I am frustrated. When I don't get my way, well, just continue with as many examples as you can think of. Right? If it's too salty or it's not cooked enough or right? It doesn't go zero to 60 in enough time, or when it does, it breaks. I don't have somebody to fix it. All that kind of stuff. I, right? Hardest part of our relationship with the Lord. Right there. Anybody know that word? It's got six letters in it. Mm, I hate that word. I hate that word. Right? I grew up in a youth group and the high school girls, they would always get mad anytime they would talk about some of the passages that talk about women. You know, submit to your husbands or whatever because one, none of them understood what that actually meant and neither did I and our youth pastor didn't explain it very well either, right? But they would say, oh yeah, I hate that word. And I, you know what I've come to find out? I'm more concerned about submitting to God than I'm concerned about people submitting to each other because we can kind of figure that one out and it's going to go wonky no matter what. But that one, that one hurts. 
You know, they, when you go to the doctor, they say, this one's going to hurt a little bit. Right? I was talking to somebody the other day, and they had, um, they had to choose between two surgeries. One of them was like a two to three month recovery time. The other one was six months. Guess which one they picked? Huh? How many say two to three months? Raise your hand. How many people say six months? Why did he pick six months? Because it was the better surgery. It had the better outcome, the longer term uh, success rate and the whole thing. That's called submission. And it sucks, right? If you look at it selfishly, if we look at the Lord's promises, Lord's blessing, uh, what's he capable of? How often is he listening? How often? All the time, right? All of a sudden, wait, if I submit, now maybe I'm on the team and I don't have to play an individual sport anymore. That's one of the reasons I love being a part of Southern Baptist Convention. What? Wait a minute, Scott. What are you saying now? Yeah, I want to be a part of a bigger organization. So if somebody comes after us as a church, there's a monster behind us. A giant who says, oh yeah, another one of ours. Don't mess with them. I like big brothers, right? I take Brent with me everywhere I go. I have a <laughs> 6'10 giant, right? I'm going, to be told, I'm going to be the only safe person in India. right? It's going to be awesome. Wait, am I allowed to say that out loud? Am I, I, was I supposed to announce that? It's out of the bag. I don't know. Anyways, uh, for being ignorant, they didn't submit. And when you don't submit, what else did he call you? Two lines up. Say right above. Two, just go two words up. Ignorant. If you don't submit to God, by God's definition, and don't say this to people on the street, okay? Don't post this stuff or whatever or conversationally. Just know in the back of your head. I'm glad I'm not as ignorant as they are. Because right? when we submit to God, we get blessing, promise, the whole thing. Um, we get the benefits of Christ's finished work and sacrifice on the cross. Way beyond forgiveness of sin. Wait, there's something more than forgiveness of sin? Yes, there's love and relationship and nutrition and exercise and learning and accomplishments and effectiveness and humor. Let's enjoy all those things, right? And spicy food that's a, like a, not too spicy, but a little spicy. For Christ, verse 4, we're going to understand why now. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Man, that could be a sentence right there by itself. He ended the law. Uh-oh, you just took my whole system away. Now, now what am I going to play? I'm going to eliminate law. Why? Make it easier for you to get to heaven? No. To get you into a relationship with Him. Draw you into, into His righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone. Amen? I love that word. You love that word? I love that word. Can we just put a period right there? Right? For every, to everyone. Dang it, there's two more words. And we're back to that submit thing. Not just everyone. Everyone, caveat, who believes. You have to have faith. Now we're referencing last chapter 9. Right? 
faith in him, faith in his power, faith in his patience, his timeliness, his provision, all those things, right? Um, boy, it sounds good like if it pops up on your screen as a memory verse, right? For Christ is the end of law of righteousness to everyone who believes. And you go along your day going, oh, yeah, that's true, right? What's the hard part of that verse? When it pops into your life beyond just your screen, where you have to actually believe him for some stuff, right? Didn't we, didn't we sing, we sang something a, a few minutes ago about him always being God, right? Did you catch that line? It's a little bit different than the way you sang it because I have to make you think about what you're saying rather than remember the line because sometimes we sing stuff. You just, do you ever do this? I sing stuff, but I, I, I forget what it even thinks. Or I just I got to make sure I sing the words right because someone will see me missing the words. And when the pastor doesn't sing the worship songs right, oh, it's time to pick a new church right? I get worried about that stuff. Let's move on. Verse five. Here we go. Look down or look up. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. That's the system they had, right? Here comes Jesus. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down. Oh, don't say you're going to heaven to go get him and bring him back because you need him. Right? Can we, can we, one, can we go to heaven on our own? No. Can you make Christ do anything? No. <laughs> right? You're definitely not bringing him down here if he don't want to come. <laughs> right? Or who will ascend into the abyss? That's the dark place with the pitchfork guy, right? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. What is wrong with that statement? Is he down there? One, you go down there, you won't find him. Two, you go down there, you're not coming back. Three, you go down there, you have no, no capabilities. Right? But what does it say? The word is near you. In your, next slide, in your mouth and in your heart. What's, what's going on here? Don't think that you have to go get God. You don't need to go find Jesus. You don't need to alert Him to what's going on or bring Him into the process or whatever. Know that He is close to you. He's in your mouth and in your heart. How close is that? There's a fun big word for this morning. Intrinsic. Christ is intrinsic for you. That means He's within you. Right? That is the word of faith that we proclaim. This idea, your faith in God is within you. But it is in your mouth and is it in your heart? Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Bam! Can I get an amen? Okay, that's great news, Right? I don't have to go up to heaven. I don't have to go down to hell. I don't have to go find him. In fact, he's intrinsic within me. What's left now? Personal responsibility, Scott. Good answer. You need to start doing something about it, right? Do you believe this? Yeah. Well, when are you going to start acting like it? You happy? Yeah. When are you going to tell your face? Right? You come up and you say, hey, somebody comes up and they got that resting, grumpy, right? They're trying to be one of the seven doors. 
dude, what's wrong? Nothing. I'm fine. Well, really? You should tell your face. It's this thing, like we think things and stuff, or we, they make sense to us, but actually doing them is another deal. And I tell you what, it gets harder when you're around people. You got coworkers or spouse or the little things when you procreate and they, they run around your house and cause trouble. If, if you are not acting the way you believe, they'll pick it up and they will magnify it. And they'll say it in aisle four of Safeway really loud so everybody can hear. You're going to be saved that way when you have faith in Him and you actually do it. Verse 10, For with the heart one believes and is justified. Justified by who? Does believing in your heart justify you? No, believing in your heart gives you access to justification. And justification is done by one person and one person alone. He's the second part of the Trinity. We're at church. I asked the question, what's his name? Jesus. That's where justification happens. But some people like to take this verse and go, oh, see, justification isn't just about Jesus because if I just believe in my heart, then I, I'm part of it. No. No, you're a bit player. You're photobombing his picture. You're in the background. That's it. But at least you're in the picture. Right? One, for with the one uh, heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. Is confessing with your mouth what actually saves you? Let's pretend I do that whole thing I just did about who saves us. Jesus, right? But why the, why the confession of the mouth and the belief of the heart? It's the only physical thing we can do to represent Him that someone else could pick up on. Right? If Brent can't see it or hear it, then it didn't happen. If you can't confess... Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, right? Why'd you do that? I'm a Christian. Oh, uh, what's up with that? I'm going to go to church. If you can't confess those kind of things, what? we got some bigger questions to ask. Well, I like Him in private. When He goes public, it's uncomfortable. Everything in life is. Have we figured this out? Everything in life is uncomfortable. Just figure out what you want to stand for or you won't stand at all. Uh, where are we? Confess and is saved. For the Scripture says, verse 11, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. If you believe in Him, is there a way for this to, like, for you to get um, bait and switched? Like He, he baits you, you. You bring Him in and then He doesn't come through with His promises. Are you going to be put to shame because He drops His side of the promise of the agreement? Understand this. The way Hebrew works, the, the word that is used for our relationship with God is covenant. And intrinsic to the idea of covenant, it is not a deal. It is a stone-cold locked prediction and foretelling of what will happen. It's as if you've got a preview to the movie that's going to happen. Now, are you getting the whole movie? No, you're not. But is the preview wrong? Nope, it's showing you what's gonna happen. It's not a deal that can be broken because God never breaks his deals, right? It's great news. For there is no distinction. Now that's an important word. Why, Scott? Why is that important? Because I'm going to use it in the fill-ins here in a minute, okay? But I want us to see this. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek. Why does he need to tell us that there's no distinction between Jew and Greek? Are you saying that everybody's the same? 
Yeah, Paul's saying, you know, people aren't the same. Our culture pushes like crazy to try and make people equal. Now, do we believe that people are equal in value, in, in relationship, and opportunity to God? No, yeah, we do. But most of the time, we confuse it for same. we got to make sure that equal is never the same as the same. Right? What do we do? We make distinctions. Well, you know, Jews look like this and Greeks look like that. Oh, do you mean there was like um, ethnic issues back in those days? <laughs> Good thing we don't have those today. Tongue-in-cheek, sarcasm. He says, look, with God, does He make distinction? Does God make distinction? No, Paul says there is, what's that word before distinction? There is no distinction. Does God make distinction between ethnicities? Genders? Age? Capability? None of that stuff, right? It says, remember this. God loves and values and created us equal. And value, purpose, the whole thing. For the same Lord is Lord of how many? All. Have we seen everyone and all? And is, are we doing the all-inclusive thing here? Right? Bestowing His riches on how many? And here comes that caveat again. Dang it. Who call on Him. Can we just can we cut off the last four? Because I want the free deal. I want the free package. You ever go somewhere and you got a, you got a chance to buy a package deal and one of them is free or really cheap and the other one's more expensive. Which one do you get? So I sit next to him, I think. You get what you pay for? I'm tending toward buying the more expensive one that'll last longer because if it's made out of plastic or it's made out of steel, which I just had one of these experiences in my life. It was, it was a poly material or something like that and it didn't work. And so uh, Chris helped me replace it with something that was made out of steel, right? Why? Never do it again. It'll last longer, right? This is our relationship with the Lord. If you call on Him, you get the better deal. If you just want, oh, I want Him to bestow His riches on me, willy-nilly, no, no conditional statements, that, folks, what that's called is common grace. It, like, if you took a seminary theology class, um, I mean, if you're into that, do it. Praise the Lord. Bless you. We could talk whenever you want. Most of you... Just skip it. There's better things to read, and I'll give you a book. But they caught, there's a distinction between the two things. One's called common grace, the other one's called specific grace. Common grace is everybody gets it. That there's still air to breathe, that the sun still comes up. It's kind of like when you live in a town, we get the benefits of a bunch of things in our town, right? You can find a water faucet in a bunch of places. There's sidewalks and they keep the lights on at night. And there's a bunch of things that kind of generally happen for everyone if you just walk the streets. 
Do you know that's true about God? Some of you have been frustrated. I have been irate at some of the evil people and evil things that I see go on, and they get to live, and some of them get to grow in power and status, and they're still, and it's like, how does this keep going? Well, it's God's common grace. Because not, God is not slow about keeping His promises, as some count slowness, but is patient, not wishing that any, there's our all-inclusive word again, should perish. So he's waiting for them to finally get it while I'm over here frustrated that he's still getting common grace. And I'm worried about the lowest common denominator. Can I get a little bit more out of the cheapest combo meal? Like, what's the cheapest meal? Like, if we left, what's the cheapest meal? If you went into town and found a restaurant, anyone, doesn't matter, what's the cheapest meal Like that you could get? It's got to have three items in it, okay? Burger, fries, and a soda, or a taco, you know, some chips and a drink. I don't know, whatever. What's the cheapest little combo you could get? Who knows, right? Three bucks, four bucks. Yeah, they got the 99-cent meal. And then what are you getting? No, I did not mention any specific restaurant's names, right? So I can say this. You're getting garbage. What's the point? How much can I get? When you center on common grace, you're, you're spinning on like all the everyday stuff rather than what if God had specific grace for me? What would that look like? What if there's things that are unique to me that none of you understand, and yet God could work on it with me? And maybe it's a shortcoming. Maybe it's a dream. Maybe it's a mistake I made. Maybe it's a problem I'm trying to solve. Whatever. And here's what's awesome about that. What if the thing that you see in someone else that brings up some frustration because, well, you're immature, um, because God might be doing a specific grace thing with them that takes longer than you're comfortable with? Oops. What just happened to your position? It was decimated, Scott. I'm pretty sure it was crushed. Yeah, because God has specific grace things for those who call on Him. You call on the Lord, He says, Ooh, rack them up, let's play. Are you saying God's into gambling, Scott? No. And don't email me about it, okay? Or anything for that matter. Verse 13, for everyone who call how many? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Bam! That's a mic drop moment right there for him. This is the way it works. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. Here's the problem. Who calls on the name of the Lord? How, how do we do that? I need some practicals. I need some to do. I need a checklist, Scott. What do I do and how do I do it? Number one, here's, here's what we're going to look at. We're going to try to recognize who you are. Not why did he make you this way, but what did he make you for? Right? Um, and check out this verse here. Right? What does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. You have it. You have full access. Here's the funny part. When you, when you settle for the cheap version of God, the problem is you've someone already paid for your full access. 
we have all the bells and whistles on that program and you don't have to upgrade ever it auto upgrades and you get all the special drop down menus and all that kind of stuff okay i just did the extent of my tech knowledge right let's talk a little bit more on my level i went to the car wash and from now on i get the ultimate wash no matter what i don't have to pay anymore it's already been paid for rather than the basic wash if i'm if i'm doing god i got access right within me my heart and my mouth now what will i do about it right first one i want us to be aware of this is really a great distinction for us to make you'll find out why i said that in two seconds we have a passion for distinction we have a passion for distinction that's a fancy way of we like to pick sides we like black and white we like to pick and choose we like to make rules we like to judge i don't think they should do their hair that way We're talking about hair. Buy them a hat. What? Just get over it. Well, you know, you know what they did. You know what they think. I believe. We get into all this distinction, crap. And and it is divisive. It's destructive. It's poisons. And here's the thing. Them is divisive to them, destructive to them, poisons them. Who's it really go after? Us making distinctions. It destroys you from within. Like intrinsic is your ability to destroy yourself. I would argue you are your own greatest enemy. The devil's got nothing on you. You can destroy yourself faster than he could. Job proved it. But we want to say, oh, well, the Jews this and the Greeks that, and today in our modern day, Pleasanton, whatever. Now we got all kinds of things. Well, you know, their political party, their identification, their this, their that, blah, blah, blah. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm exhausted. We have a passion for distinction. Does God. This is the interactive portion of the morning. I'm going to ask a question. You're going to answer out loud. Right? We have a passion for distinction. We love it. We love to like make them less and us better. I got a better car. My truck pulls more than yours. Whatever. Does God. Which is funny. It's really, really funny. And, and I encourage you in relationship with the Lord. You got to chase the funny. Because it's way more prevalent with God and in the Bible than you realize. When it comes to distinction and things that are polar opposites, life and death, you know what the most polar opposite in the Bible might be? God and us. <laughs> right? That there's like, it, the chasm is massive, the differences, right? So anybody who could recognize distinction would be him and the power to do something about it, right? Or the value, intrinsic value of that being. What can he do? Everything. Well, how long does it take him? No time. Where? Everywhere. Like He's the good of all things. By comparison, there's no comparison. 
So the one that could be justified, not justified, the one that would be correct in using distinctions and could use them ad nauseum with full effect and 100% success rate, it would be God. And then, here's the thing, I just asked you though, does He do distinctions? And y'all said no. I know where you're going, but that's a different topic. All right? Yet, all right? So we got this passion for distinction. What's yet? I put a Yeti in there. What's, it, what's this yet for? Because <laughs> I don't want to use but or her- however or therefore or in spite of, right? It's kind of like a response. First thought is this, but here's a response or a counter-argument, right? Yet, God has a distinct passion for us. Oh, that's so cute, Scott. I see what you did there. You like took the words and switched them based on meaning, uh, one for us and one for God. And oh my gosh, I might remember that, which is why I did it. God has a distinct passion for us. And what's that mean about the person sitting next to you? Has he got a distinct passion for them? Yeah, what about the people that are a little different than you? A lot different than you. Totally different than you. What about the brainless ones out there? Have you met them? They're scary. Does he have a distinct passion for them? Yeah. He loves diversity. Oh no, Scott's going woke. No. God designed and is the author and perfecter of the uh, diversity like all the things that are different in the world who made them was it a surprise to him oh look what i accidentally created he did on purpose because when everyone's special then no one will be and maybe we'll stop doing distinctions. Maybe we'll start enjoying distinctions like ethnic foods. And maybe they'll move on to relationship, passion for one another. See how that makes sense? It's really kind of brilliant on his part, the way he designed it to work. Right? Secondly, this one is going to take a little explaining. You're only offering... Oh no, he's going to ask for money. Nope. Never have. Kind of hoping I never will. 12 years. Never asked for money. Rock Bible Church. Amen? Amen. I'm not talking about what you tithe here. I mean, what you offer back to God. Realize this. The tithe or money that you give at church, where did that concept originate i don't mean like where do you earn the money i mean way back generations thousands of years ago what was the concept that drove humans to try to give something back to god oh wait maybe i just answered it in the question to offer things back up to god in fact you can't get uh, more than a few chapters into the bible and cain and abel are trying to give stuff back to god they called it an offering Weird thing with Cain and Abel. Oh, you mean Cain killed Abel? No, not that's not the weird thing. Here's the weird thing I want you to think about. 
one of the offerings was acceptable and the other offering was not. Which logically means we can make a couple deductions. Right? I can offer something to God that's worth it. Apparently, to Him. On the flip side, I can offer something to God that is not worth it according to Him. There's a way to offer something to God that is defective. Malintended. Uh, you did the right thing, but you did it for the wrong reason. Right? Our only offering, the things that we give back to God, get very confusing. Uh, some of us think as service. I give back to God by helping with the coffee and donut ministry on Sundays regularly. Which, by the way, we need more people for. Commercial. Uh, we offer money. Okay, that's the easiest, cheapest one. Um, we offer investment into other people. We serve. Uh, we offer prayers. Be interesting for you to think about your prayer life as actual an offering rather than a request. <gasps> Mind blow. We offer a lot of things. Now, in defining it that way, let's finish this phrase. Our only offering is never our greatest asset. Uh, whoa. You know, I like this church, Scott, because usually you explain things in like kindergarten level and I can get them every once in a while when you go like college level. <laughs> it stresses me. We think because we're really good at something, enjoy something, people have complimented about us about it, or we have an abundance of it, we could take that and like, I'm going to use that for God. And then we think, yeah, I'm doing pretty well. <clears throat> the greatest thing you can offer to God, it's, it's never what you're meant to offer to God. What do you mean, Scott? You mean um, yeah, like your proclivity for studying Scripture and going to school and your comfort in talking in front of people and public speaking and your people skills and da-da-da, like like, isn't that something God uses for you? Yeah. But it's not, it's not my greatest asset. I, I, I might think I have it as an asset, but that's, that's not what God calls my greatest asset, my, my only offering, really. Does, does he have smarter people on this planet than me? Easiest question ever asked in the history of Rock Bible Church. Okay. Nicer people? Yeah. More attractive? Don't answer that. <laughs> right? Does God have other assets he can use beyond me? Man, there's some more jokes in there that I'm going to leave alone. Um, so does he need those things from me? He wants them from me. And yet, what does he want even more? I, I think of God this way, okay? He's like a pseudo 80s rapper. And he says to me, bro, come here, let's talk. Yo, 
right? That was the 80s. That was like the intent of our intellect. Yo, we would greet people. That was how you'd say yes. Like, it was really pretty ignorant. What God wants more from me and from you more than anything else Attention, your heart, relationship, interaction, communication. God says to me sometimes, hey, Scott, you're really doing all your roles a lot. When are you going to spend some time with me again? Messed it up again. Right? Um, verses 9 and 10 are true because of verse 8. This is verse 8 at the top. And so we get verses 9 and 10, right? That push us to that. But actually, um, what I want to really want to read is this thing that um, Paul references in Deuteronomy. Oh no, I hope he doesn't make us spell it. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you. I mean, towards the beginning of the book, he tells us it's easy to follow God? Huh. Neither is it far off. Does it sound like something we just read? I said intrinsic. Why? Because it's within your heart and on your mouth. Right? It's not far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Oh, Paul cheated! Paul's obviously referencing this passage. Paul knew this passage better than any of us and all of us combined. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do, and do it? Hear it and do it twice. Right before 13, right before 14. Hear it and do it. In Jewish culture, there's no such thing as believe, but don't act. If you don't act, then you didn't believe it. You can't separate the two. It's a combo meal. Never two shall the two be separated. For what God has joined together, let no man separate. Right? Oh, you mean God does that kind of concept regularly? You mean God's consistent? Huh. Just got to look for it a little bit. But the Word is very near you. Not near you, very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. Why is it intrinsic within us? Why does it here? It says because He wants us to do it. So we can act on it. See, I have set before you today life and good. And death and evil. <laughs> Uh-oh. Two doors. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in His ways. How do you love the Lord your God? You walk in His ways. You make your decisions based on Him. You follow the stuff. You actually do it. And keeping His commandments and His statutes and His rules, which apparently those are three different things. I thought they were the same thing. Then you shall live and multiply. Ooh, that's kind of fun. And the Lord your God will what? Bless you. In the land that you gave, he, he, uh, you are entering and to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, that never happens today. I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. I was um, laughing in my office this week when I was studying this. 
what do you call a church congregation? Some, they call them a parish, <laughs> right? Oh, that, this is a different spelling. Change the E to A. That's a big change, right? You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying His voice, holding fast to Him, for He is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, to Jacob, to give to them. May the Lord bless the reading of a different one of His words. Amen? Now, is that a deal just for them? Are you living in the land that he swore to them to possess? And have you crossed the Jordan to enter into it? <gasps> it wasn't written to you. <laughs> did I just take you out of the equation? Did I just recognize that you're not part of the equation? I did. What do we take from this then? What kind of God do we have? You have a God of blessing? You think God changes? I mean, folks, understand this always in the bible you're a different audience but he's same god he still functions that way does he offer this deal to you yeah but scott you just said he didn't write it to us in deuteronomy he didn't what did paul just do wrote the same thing in different words and absolutely referenced this so that the next generation could hear it does it apply to us then if he's consistent, I say that it does. Love that. Um, so here's a concept. And this is another fill-in, I think, in there. And it, I, don't, I can't remember if it's not bolded or whatever. Just as a sub-point. So we still stuck to three points this week, okay? For those of you who are into consistency. Um, so uh, here it is. It is who you are. And then defines your actions it is who you are and then defines your acting that's that's wonky english isn't it i mean don't don't bring any english teachers in here okay i take liberty with english to make a point rather than get a good grade on my english scores it's who you are that matters that is defining rather than your capabilities. And then, when you start figuring out who you are, how God has made you, why God has made you, glory through faith, then you can start acting. Do I mean acting like pretending, playing a role that's not actually you? What do I mean? Doing it. Right? That you would and do them, do the commandments. That's what we're trying to get to. Alright, here we go. Last one. And this one is, um, I, I can't help you on this one. Sorry. I want to. I mean, I love you. Some of you, I don't know you, but I love you, right? The commercial. Amen. Um, how do you call him? It says, all those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Great. Uh, um, how do you, have you figured out how you do that? No, I'll, I'll give you some hints. Because none of this I can do for you. But just the fact that you're at a church. 
that you set aside time on Sunday. Most of you took showers and like, I'm going to get cleaned up and maybe dressed a little better than I normally did. And you show, you drove and got here and, you know, maybe brought kids with you, whatever. Was that an investment? Is that a calling on the Lord? It's, it's a piece. Some people do it through worship. Like three songs is just not enough for them. They'll go out and they'll download the songs because they heard them and then they'll play them and then they'll like, people who downloaded this also downloaded that. They'll download even more and they'll, they'll listen to worship songs all day long because for, for them, make something click. Um, some other nerds that um, preach twice on Sundays um, get podcasts from other pastors and listen to them that they respect and learn stuff through them and play them on one and a half time fast so that in uh, 60 minutes I can listen to it in 40 minutes. Oh shoot, did I say I in there? Dang, I gave away the mystery. Some people can pray without ceasing and have massive lists that they track and then write how the prayer was answered. Some people serve ad nauseum and make me exhausted when I watch them because they just keep serving and they don't stop. And the Energizer bunny calls and says, dang. Some people are empathetic and compassionate and can go and just sit with someone. Some people are brilliant and jump on a committee and help solve stuff. Some people can sit with young children and all their idiosyncrasies and the messes that they make for like 65, 75 minutes while the adults are in the sanctuary. We need some more of those too. The point is this, you have to figure out how it is that you call on him. Some do it through a small group. Some do it with, by time with their spouse. I don't get it. Honey, I don't think that you're going to draw closer to God by being around me. I just, I've been me. I know me. Mm, I'm not a great example, right? Some people draw closer to God and call on Him by being alone. Solitude, it's a spiritual discipline, right? Or silence. Some people write stuff to Him. Figure out what yours are and have fun. Like experiment. Try a bunch of stuff. Have you ever been to a buffet? I love buffets. I had a friend who's trying to, um, well, no, rephrase. There's still a friend. I have a friend who's trying to encourage me to go on a vacation. And, and, they're, and they're, you know what they led with? All the meals are buffets. Like you pick and choose and try everything, right? I think you know him. He's really tall. And he preaches once in a while. He's a good dude. We have, to, we have to figure out how it is that we draw close to God. Because you're, you're trying to access something that's already intrinsic with it, within you. He's designed you with a desire for Him. And He's like, bro, plug in and turn on the power. Like This amazing machine that you could use, it's not plugged into the wall. You've ever done that? Right? Um, where, where does it start? Calling on the Lord, where does it start? 
at some point, you in your mind believing and saying, all right, God, me and you. Mostly you. Me and you, God, mostly you. Doug says that to me all the time. Hey, let's carry this. Me and you, mostly you. <laughs> right? Um, at some point, you got to talk to God. You have an initial a start, a kickoff. I mean, we should re reference kickoffs because, right? Some of you are going to run off to watch the game in a minute. When have you started your relationship with the Lord? Have you ever said it out loud? He believes in his heart and confesses with his mouth, shall be saved. Who have you confessed it before? Do it with God at least once, and then from that point on, start figuring out, how do, how do I do this? We want to help you. That's why we're here. Right? We're an evangelistic church. Compelling ourselves and others to the Christ. That's why we're here. That's why we have a children's ministry. That's why we're getting a new kitchen. All the things that we do are based on that kind of thing. Go to Mexico, build somebody a house. Why? Draw attention to God and He gets glory. That's why we're here. Amen? If you haven't started it, start it. If you want to start it, come talk to me. I would like to help. Amen? Lord, thanks for our morning. Thanks for your word. Thanks for the fun, uh, for the depth, for the challenge. Thanks for the clarity and the mystery. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to uh, continue to think about some of these things during our week, and maybe some of them for the rest of our life. Uh, but may all of it be an exercise in our pursuit of you and how we call on you. We want to enjoy you, God, the way you want to enjoy us. And if anybody's never made that decision, Lord, I pray you would prompt them and help them, bless them, uh, give us ways as a church to do the same. And then for those who maybe have been a little stagnant, Lord, maybe you might prod them in, in a new way or return to an old habit of connecting with you. We thank you for all this and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. May you be your own greatest offering. Amen. Amen. Go with him.